Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. What is this? What are we doing? What in God's name are we doing? What? Our lives! What, what kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. No, we're not. We're not men. It's the nightcap. Are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You oh. know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR Sports Radio 550. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. Hour number two. Still here. I made it through the Ted Nolan collar. We all did. I hope. Some of us, at least. Welcome back. We'll do a little more on the Sabres coach search here. As it's ongoing, so why not? The draft happened over the weekend, obviously, so we will get back into that. Our interview of the day is going to be Greg Cosell, so we'll get to that. Always good stuff from him. Ricard Gronberg, Sheldon Keefe, Chris Taylor... Anybody else striking you as a serious candidate right now? I haven't really mentioned Jacques Martin, and there's a reason for that, because it makes me depressed every time I think that he could be the Sabre coach. I mean, it's the worst idea possible. It is. No one likes it. Nobody. Paul, me, I I haven't heard anybody that likes that idea. There's a reason for that. So we'll just move past that. Uh, Todd Richards, his name was thrown in the ring today from John Shannon. I guess that's better than Martin, but it doesn't. No one's getting excited about that either. So 8030550 is the phone number if you've got a unique idea that you don't think has been brought up yet, or if you want to double down on uh, one of these guys that were just mentioned. 8030550 is the way to do that. I'm going to go through a couple texts in a second here at 55550, and you can hit me up on Twitter at SneakyJoeWGR. Colin in Hamburg, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Just pretty good. I uh, just want to jump on, especially after that Ted Nolan caller. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I'm just I'm tired of hearing. I'm tired of names being thrown back in the mix. Uh, I'm tired of the Lindy Ruff being thrown back in the mix. The Ted Nolan, you know, something that we're comfortable with in Buffalo. Not saying that maybe Lindy Ruff could come in with a different team and. No, you were right, though. Comfortable is, like, the perfect word for what you're talking about. Absolutely. And we do that with the free agencies as well. We bring in guys like Jason Tomlinville. Great for the community, great veteran presence, but he's not going to put up 80 to 100 points. Right. Same thing with Brian Gianta when he was in here. Great veteran presence. He's not putting up 80 to 100 points. You know, he, he's out of his prime. And, you know, that's, that's what happens with age. You know, be more aggressive in the free agent. Get more Jeff Skinners in there. Lock those guys down. And stop bringing up these names like Lindy Ruff and Ted Nolan and, and get someone with a track record that's exciting and new. Yes, I agree. And, like, to me, and thanks for the call, Colin, and thanks for holding. Like, I don't want – I Lindy Ruff, like I said, it's not the worst idea in the world to me. I think Jacques Martin is the worst idea in the world to me. But I don't want Lindy Ruff now. I want the next Lindy Ruff at least. 
Like, that's the baseline, I think, for what I want as my next head coach. Because what was Lindy? To me, adaptable. And you were never finishing last in the league. You're never coming close. The seasons Phil Housley just had, that doesn't happen under Lindy Ruff. Now, he's also probably not going to get you to the Stanley Cup unless you have a team that is as talented as... Like, it's got to be one of the more talented teams in the league. That's a lot. That's most coaches, I would say, in the NHL. But that's definitely true, I think, for Lindy. Like, the only team he had that really should have won the Cup, which was 06, and if they don't get injured, we all know they were winning that Cup. Like, that was theirs. The names were on it. They were getting ready to engrave. They should have been. That team was perfect for that season and the game coming out of the lockout. It was perfect. He's adaptable enough that when you give him that team, maybe you could win the Cup. But you got to have a hell of a team for that to happen. I think he's a good coach. I don't think he's a great coach. But like you said, I want the next one of those. I don't want, at the least, I want the next one of those and not, you know, the recycled guy that has been through here even. Just not, don't, don't do it. Because why would you even do that? You're, you're not getting to the Rangers assistant coach if he's not Lindy Ruff. Are you going to hire the other Rangers assistant coach who I can't name right now and none of you can? No. We come back to the names that we know, and that's not always the best way to do it, um, and I'm sure that that's not the way. Well, actually, you know what? I'm not sure that's the way Jason is going to do it because it does sound like the guys he's looking at are the guys he knows, and that is a bit worrisome for me, for sure. Because if he hires Jacques Martin or he hires Todd Richards, guys that he has familiarity with, that screams to me, you don't know what else to do, so you're going to hire the guy that you have familiarity with. And that's no different from what the fans are doing right now with Lindy Ruff. And to a much lesser extent, that dude that called in with the Ted Nolan idea. Let's go to Kevin and Amherst. Kevin, you're on the nightcap. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I'm very much against the, the whole retread thing. I think it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, you know, why would you take somebody that got fired from somewhere else and only got so far? But here's what I think is going to happen, is that Bottle is going to be wanting to protect his job now. So I don't think he's mm. going to take a chance and do what we want him to do. Yeah. He's going to do... You know, I, I, everything that I've read is structure, structure, structure. They want guys that have a lot of structure. And so he'll do the same thing. He wants to keep his job. He'll hire someone that he knows, and it'll be something that we don't like because it's just going to be some regurgitated thing that we've already seen, you know, for 20 other years that doesn't work. Kevin, Kevin, you're so right. Like, the point you make about Bottrell, too, and, like, his job security, like, I think he's safe, especially for this year, but... He knows he's got to nail this hire. Like, this is going to be it for him. If he messes up this hire again and they're bad under whoever the new head coach is, he ain't getting a third. That's not happening. So, you're right. I think a reason a lot of us fans and a lot of the media here likes the idea of Ricard Gronberg is we are here. We're here for the long haul no matter what. So, that idea is appealing. Whereas you got a guy in there right now where he knows he has to nail this. And that, I think if you don't think that will come into a guy's 
decision making when he's going to make this hire? I think you're a little. I think you're crazy because I think that's got to be the case. He's human. I mean, I'd be the same way. I'm not going to lie. That's a good point. I wonder if he'll, he'd make the Gronberg hire because this is it for him. And it is taking a chance. It, it really isn't taking a chance, oh, by the way. But to hockey people, it will like in that that boys club that is the same general managers and same coaches over and over and over. That would be taking a chance. And I don't know. I, I wonder if he would do it. If he were just coming in and this was his first head coaching hire and he just came into the Sabres. Then maybe I th- I would think there's a better chance he'd do it. But, I, yeah, I'm skeptical it's really going to happen. Um, we at least have people saying, national reporters, that he is a candidate. So that is at least, like, that's something. And I hope he, uh, I hope I hope they follow through on it. Or go with Sheldon Keefe. Because as I've said, those are the two guys I want. Let's go to Jake in Rochester. Yes, Jake, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey, guys, thanks for taking my call. I'm just super concerned about our ability to get a candidate here who's really worth anything as a coach um, without really getting one of those massive retreats here. I think the combination of the Pagulas fired everybody after two years, now potentially players like Ico being labeled maybe inside the league as coach killers, and also really what I would say is the you know kind of the incompetence of Bottero. He hasn't helped this roster at all. He's made horrible moves and trades. And really kind of, you know, stab it, cause you in the back, pull the exit door on him really quick. I don't even know who's going to want to sign up for this. I think we're in a very, very bad situation. And I don't really see ourselves getting out of this without some kind of luck, unfortunately. I mean, you're not going to get the Quenvilles of the world because he was out there and you didn't get him. But I don't think you're, I don't think the guys out there, like there are very few coaches that I think will have the pedigree that will even get to decide that. And... I don't think so. The Eichel coach killer stuff is so stupid. It's so stupid. Sidney Crosby's had four head coaches. Is he a coach killer? You ever even hear about him being a coach killer? No, you don't. Eichel's not a coach killer. They've had bad head coaches. That's the problem. Coach killer. No, I I don't... The overall point, though, there, that they can't get the high-pedigree coach to come here... I mean, there's some merit to it, but it's not because I, I don't want anyone to think that it's because they keep cycling through coaches. That's not why. It's because you've stunk for five years, eight years, actually. That's why. And if anything, I mean, we convince ourselves of it, but you, you gotta, there's got to be coaches out there that would look past that because you have Darlene and Eichel. And they're arguably the best pair of players any team in the league has to build around right now. So, I don't think they should have an issue, and I don't think they will have an issue. I think in this coaching search, if they want the guy, they're going to get him. Based on what's left, Quenville's gone. But of the guys out there now, I don't think they'll have an issue. And if it comes to it in two years, and they got to move on again... I don't even want to, never, never mind, I don't even want to entertain that. I don't even want to entertain it. That's just way too down the road. We have a goal in the NHL playoffs. The St. Louis Blues are up one nothing on the Dallas Stars. If you didn't see, by the way, Greg Wyshynski, ESPN, he had, he he always comes out with his, uh, who he voted for, 
in all the NHL awards, and he put Ryan O'Reilly third in his MVP voting. He put O'Reilly third. Man, I've always hated that trade. It's looking so bad. St. Louis is tied 1-1 in the series with Dallas, and now they're up one nothing on the road. I Man, they, they might be the strongest team left in the West. We'll see. If Ryan O'Reilly is raising the cup at the end of the season, I mean, that's going to be a bitter pill, I think, for Sabre fans to swallow. Not looking as hot for Robin Leonard. He's down 2 nothing when and the Islanders are down 2 nothing to the Hurricanes. All right, we'll switch back into the draft when we come back. Um, Greg Cosell, we'll get to that. And uh, your calls, 803-0550 is the phone number. Um, before, actually, you know what, before we do go to break, I've been waiting to address this on uh, Antonio Brown. We had a good question from, I don't think I have a name here. No, there's no name here. But the texter basically wants to know, because I was going talking about the number one wide receiver and how they wanted to get Antonio Brown. He wants to know, because I have them at eight and a half wins right now, what I would have had them at if... Antonio Brown was a bill, and that happened, and that worked out, and he was here. I'd have them at 10 wins. I think they'd be a playoff team. This team's only missing a couple of pieces in their master plan. Elite pass rusher and a bona fide number one wide receiver. That would be your bona fide number one wide receiver. So I'd have them at 10 wins, at least, and I don't think I'd be surprised if they were to be an 11-win team with him. I think he would have made that big a difference. To have that type of weapon, I really do. Anyways, I still have them at like eight, eight and a half, though. So I still think they'll be good. Not great, but good. All right, back to the draft. Greg Cosell, your calls as we continue. It's the nightcap with Jody Biasi on WGR. Right out of the gate, you got to talk about his motor. You know, he's relentless. He's the kind of guy that offensive coordinators have a hard time game planning because they can initially have him blocked. And he's still going to get off that block and with his speed make a play for a two-yard gain or, you know, get out on the perimeter. And he just makes plays that people don't account for. I think that's one of his biggest assets. A.J. Blum. Cool name. Houston defensive line coach. Coached at Oliver in college. He was on with Howard and Jeremy this morning. Check that out on demand at WGR550.com. Oliver is fast. I mean, you, we will see him tracking down running backs and quarterbacks in the backfield. And for all that Kyle Williams was, I mean, he wasn't... <laughs> he he was nimble, I would say, but not like straight line speed. Like, he wasn't tracking down running backs or running quarterbacks. And Oliver seems to have, like, some really unique athleticism. I'm excited about him. As excited, I think, as you can get for a defensive tackle, but I'm excited. Um, 803-0550 is the phone number. Still one nothing Blues in the NHL playoffs. Scoring update brought to you by Fiegel and Carr, your border attorneys. If you are paying attention to the NBA playoffs, the Sixers lead the Raptors 21-14, to closing in on the end of the first quarter. Raptors lead that series 1-0, just a couple hours north of here. And, uh, okay. There's some business there. Let's now get to our interview of the day. Greg Cosell, NFL Films, was on One Bills Live today. I got an announcement for later in the show, so stay tuned for that. But let's get to Greg Cosell here. Here he is with the guys. John Murphy, Steve Tasker in our One Buffalo studio. Going to have a rare uh, Monday visit from our buddy Greg Cosell. He is the executive producer, analyst for NFL Matchup on ESPN, longtime senior producer at NFL Films. Good afternoon, Greg. Good to talk to you. You just got back from uh, Nashville, right? I was in Nashville, really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I was actually working pretty much from first thing in the morning till 
the end of the draft, but it was a good trip. Really enjoy Nashville. What if you look back uh, at the draft and you and you see think about what the Bills did? What's the overall arching impression you get of the Bills draft? Oh, I like the Bills draft. I think they address specific needs with really good prospects. Now, again, that's based on my evaluation of the prospects, but I think uh, they addressed the D-line. Obviously, Kyle Williams retired. Uh, they definitely needed to continue to address O-line, uh, and therefore they did that in the second round. I really liked the tight end they picked. Uh, so, I mean, to me, they, they addressed needs with players that I liked on tape. Greg, I want, we want to get into some of these picks with you, but just overall – the lack of a wide receiver pick in this draft, does that say something about the wide receivers available this year in the draft, or is it more about just the way the board fell for the Buffalo Bills? Well, there were a bunch of um, wide receivers that were not drafted that I thought could have easily been drafted, um, but I guess teams either did not feel they were good enough to be drafted or they had players rated more highly when it came to be their turn. But overall, uh Again, I think they felt like they addressed the wide receiver position with John Brown. I think they probably feel that Foster is an ascending talent. So, uh, you know, again, it's always hard to know. It's always easy to say, Murph, as you well know, you've been doing this for a long time. It's always easy to say, and when they draft players, they obviously feel pretty good about the player that they drafted at that point and better than a player they didn't draft. Well, there was so a... I'm always a wait-and-see guy when it comes to that. I'm not one of those guys that said they should have done this instead. Well, it's a lot of fun to think about the top ten, and we always watch these drafts because everybody knows who the best players are. And at the top of this draft, wasn't there wasn't too many shifting around, not like we saw a year ago where there's multiple moves inside the top ten, uh, just the Steelers jumping up to number ten. But give us a, an idea of what you thought about uh, maybe the Raiders going with their guy and the quarterback taken by the Giants and how it got to the point where the Bills could select Ed Oliver. Well, you know, it's funny. I think that the Raiders draft really bore the stamp of Mike Mayock because, again, people say, well, Cleveland Farrell was taken too high. They obviously had him rated highly, and they're looking for glue players. Their defense was among the worst in the NFL a year ago. They're not looking for, for high-ceiling risk-type players. They are looking for glue guys. Cleveland Farrell might not be Khalil Mack, but he lines up and plays the same snap after snap after snap, and you can count on him every play. So, you know, they're looking for glue guys. To, in my opinion, in the first round, the Raiders probably got three starting players. They got Cleveland Farrell, Josh Jacobs, and Jonathan Abram, the safety from Mississippi State. And I think they're all important pieces as they're trying to build. And there's nothing wrong with getting glue players who you know will line up and play and be consistent snap after snap. Greg, the other interesting pick uh, before the Bills uh, chose number nine came to the Giants, the quarterback, Daniel Jones, a Duke quarterback. And look, Dave Gettleman's been getting raked. Uh, for that selection, but I think he can justify it. I mean, he likes the quarterback. He said uh, over the weekend, you know, he didn't want to wait to get his quarterback, didn't want to take that chance. What did you think of the pick, and what do you think of the criticism being uh, fired at Dave Gettleman these days? Well, I, look, Daniel Jones to me is was not necessarily a, a a sixth pick in a draft as far as pure talent, but I know the way Dave Gettleman thinks. And Dave Gettleman thinks of an entire team. He doesn't think of a quarterback as being the singular force of a team. And he obviously believes that Daniel Jones can be a very consistent player 
as part of an offense that will probably feature Saquon Barkley as the driving force. He wants to build the rest of the team. I believe they they did they take Dexter Lawrence later in the first round? I believe they did. And then they traded back into the first round and drafted DeAndre Baker. So he's trying to build a team. And his view of the quarterback position is not that everything revolves around him, but that he is a piece of a larger puzzle. Um, you know, obviously, people last year ripped him as well for taking Saquon Barkley. What will be interesting to see, and nobody knows the answer to this, is where they'll be in two or three years with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley versus, let's say, Sam Darnold and who knows what back. So, you know, obviously, people are, are praising Sam Darnold right now. It seems as if people have Sam Darnold in the Hall of Fame, but we have to wait and see how all this plays out. What was a big surprise? I mean, you can see the the rationale of the the Raiders picking Cleveland Farrell, and and you can you know talk about Dave Gettleman in New York and the and the thought process behind that quarterback. Is there anything that did surprise you about this draft? Um, I guess what surprised me to some degree, without looking at the players, because again, it comes down to who the specific players are in any draft. But if I'm not mistaken, DeAndre Baker was the only corner taken in the first round. And he went late to the Giants, who traded back in to get him. And in a league in which corners are viewed as critically important with the influx of uh, 11 personnel, meaning three wide receivers, normally corners are really big. But there was a, a run on corners in the second round, so that's where the corners were taken off the board. So it was clearly a case in which... Uh, corners were not seen as being top flight guys relative to specific to this specific draft. We're on the line with Greg Cosell on a busy day for him in New Jersey, executive producer, analyst of NFL Matchup on ESPN, senior producer at uh, NFL Films. All right, let's get into the Bills picks. Uh, Ed Oliver, here's why I like to pick, Greg. I'm curious uh, to your take. It was a position of need. He can step right in and start. And they didn't have to uh, spend any extra assets. They were at nine, and they got him with nine. I like that about him. No, and and Ed Oliver, look, you know, if you go back a year, Ed Oliver was viewed as a top three pick in the draft. And whatever happened this year, none of us know that. But his tape is what I look at. I don't know Ed Oliver. You guys, I'm sure, have have met him now that he's been up there. He's an elite athlete, no question. He's got an off-the-charts profile of foot quickness, agility, fluidity, explosion, hand usage. Plus, he's a high-level effort and competitive guy. I, I mean, if you just watch the tape and see the traits, he's really an explosive, explosive player. Now, as we all do when we evaluate players leading up to the draft, we nitpick. So people look at his weight and they say, can he hold up inside at probably 280 pounds? Uh, you know, he's clearly a gap player. He's not going to hand-fight offensive linemen. He's a gap player. You want him to penetrate. You want him to use that explosive athletic ability. But he's got special traits for a defensive tackle. And, in fact, they moved him around quite a bit at Houston. There were times they stood him up. So it'll be interesting to see what Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier do. Yeah, there's no question. They've they've talked a lot about using him in the three technique and giving him a chance just to try and play on the offensive side of the football, you know, get through into the backfield and wreak havoc that way. Um, and that seems to be – what he he played a lot on the nose at Houston, and, and everybody has just said, you know, Houston didn't use him the proper way. Did you? Right. Is that what you saw? I would agree with that. I mean, he played a, a lot of what we call zero technique, which means he was head up on the center, and he played that nose shade as well. 
I think ultimately uh, he's a three technique. Now, Houston did a lot of slanting, which obviously played to Oliver's high-level athleticism. But I think in the NFL, he's a three technique, meaning he's going to line up on the outside shade of the of the offensive guard. And, and you want to let him be a penetrating player, use that explosive quickness and athleticism and explosion off the ball. That's what he is. And he can be, I think, a really disruptive player. Well, as the first round came to a close, the Buffalo Bills tried to get back into the end of the first round to get their second pick, Cody Ford, and the price was too high. And lo and behold, he fell down to almost to where they were at 40. They flip-flopped with a, a trade and got Cody Ford, the tackle from Oklahoma, at the, with the 38th pick. What do you think about Cody Ford as a tackle, guard, or whatever the Bills may use him as? Yeah, have they talked about how they see him in there at this point? They, uh, right tackle. Yeah, they're they're going to start him at tackle. Uh, start using him at tackle to begin with, with the understanding yeah, and, and, that it may not last. And that's what he played. That's what he played. I think he's a really strong right tackle prospect. He's got great upside to me as a punishing run blocker. He's a quality edge pass protector. Um, you know, I think that he's he's a tempo setter on an offensive line. He's got a punishing attitude. He's competitive. I think he's a the more I watched him and he required me to watch a lot because uh, the more I watched him, the more I thought that he had well above average athleticism. He was a good edge pass protector. I liked Cody Ford a lot. And, uh, you know, I think ultimately that he's a tackle and I have no problem with that at all. I think that's where he can play. He can line up on the outside with no problem. Not a lot of guys got around him on the edge. What traits differentiate a, a tackle prospect from a guard in your mind, Greg? Well, a tackle, more often than not, does not have help, especially versus an edge rush. You know, when you're playing inside, you've got people next to you, right. and it's a different game. Uh, when you're on the outside, when, when you get challenged on the edge and stressed on the edge, unless by formation there's a tight end there, or unless you're being helped by a back chipping, you're one-on-one. -on -one. You have to prevent the edge from being taken by the pass rusher. So there is lateral movement. There is your hands and, and your feet have to work together really, really well. One of the issues that a lot of tackle prospects have that come into the NFL, and they can get away with it in college, but they won't in the NFL, is that they tend to lunge and overextend with their hands and their arms before their feet are in position. Hands and feet must work together. The mantra of a lot of O-line coaches is feet before hands. And you can get away with hands before feet in college, but not in the NFL. With Greg Cosell from NFL Matchup on ESPN as we go through the Bills picks. The third round pick, 74th overall. Uh, I guess it, it was a bit of a surprise, both in that they chose a, a running back, Greg, which to, you know, small school, uh, FAU, to get Devin Singletary. What did you make of that pick? Yeah, I mean, Singletary carried the ball over 700 times in his career. So he was a volume workhorse back. Um, I saw him as a complimentary back. Um, he's, a, he's a decisive, determined downhill runner. He's got very good contact balance. He's got really good elusiveness and change of direction. There's a playmaking dimension to his game. Um, now, he's not a, even though he's determined and relentless, he's not powerful. There's a difference between physical and powerful. You can be physical without being powerful. So he's not powerful. Um, you know, I think that he's got a smaller than desired lower body. 
So he's not going to be a back that you intend to give the ball to 15, 20 times a game, but they're not going to do that. Right now they have four backs. I'd be surprised if all four are on the opening day roster because they've got McCoy, Gore, Yeldon, and Singletary. One of those backs will not be on the roster. Uh, during the break, you, we talked to you, and you said that one of the, the tight ends of the Bills got Tyson uh, Dawson Knox from uh, Ole Miss. You liked him a lot. Why is it that he stood out to you? I think he's a really intriguing prospect, you know, given that he didn't have many receptions, but he was also on an Ole Miss team with a lot of receivers. Um, I thought he showed excellent receiving traits. He's got speed. He's got movement to be effective at all three levels of the defense. He's clearly a plus athlete. He's got that strong tight end profile of size, speed, hands, run after catch. I think he can stress linebackers. I think he can stress safeties vertically. Um, I think he's just scratching the surface, Steve. I, I think this guy has a chance to be a really good tight end. And as a blocker, he was competitive. He had a finishing mentality. You know, he didn't really line up on the line of scrimmage. But blocking, as you know, is about being competitive and battling. You can be taught technique. As long as you're willing and tough and competitive, you can be taught the technique and the fundamentals. So, uh, you know, he was... To me, he's not T.J. Hawkinson, so don't get me wrong. But I think he possesses a similar athletic and mentality profile as Hawkinson and has the, all the necessary tools to eventually become you know, a tight end one in the NFL. Not a ton of production from him at Ole Miss. Is that a function of all the other weapons they had there, would you think? Craig? Yeah, and I think you have to be careful about that. You know, George Kittle caught 20 passes in each of his final two seasons at Iowa. And we saw what he did this past year with the 49ers. So I think the production is, is a function of many, many things, none of which have to do with Knox's traits. With Greg Cosell from ESPN's NFL matchup, the rest of the Bills draft, uh, any thoughts on uh, Vashon uh, Joseph, the linebacker, Jaquan oh, yeah. Johnson? Yeah, tell us about Vashon Joseph. What do you think? Joseph is a speed and range linebacker. He's sort of the new breed. I mean, he's about 6'1". I guess he came into the combine at 230. On tape, he looked like he weighed about 215. He's got the build of a safety. Um, you know, I think initially he's a special teams player. Maybe he's a sub linebacker. You know, I, I guess that would all depend on who else is there. I mean, Milano got hurt at the end of the season. Milano is their sub linebacker along with Edmonds. Um, I don't think he's going to beat Milano out if he's healthy, but... Um, I think his best opportunity for early playing time would be in a sub package. Uh, whether that happens this year, like I said, that remains to be seen. Uh, he'll he'll be, you know, my guess is a, a they'll try to make him a core special teams guy. He's an explosive athlete, though. That's one thing that stands out. He's got great speed and range. Yeah, and it speaks to this to the fact that he can he'll probably be a special teams player covering kicks until he he learns the ropes. But you're right. I mean, the Bills were a little bit light at the position just in sheer numbers. So we thought right. they might grab a linebacker and it and it makes sense that they would grab really a top flight athlete rather than an accomplished linebacker. You know, guys, the guy that that fascinated me and and this is what I love doing when I know nothing about players and it's virgin territory is when I watched the kid from North Carolina A&T, obviously a small school kid, but he's long, um, he's athletic. Uh, you know, I think that he's got that size length, he's got natural quickness to him. There are some concerns, he has a tendency to play high, that needs to be cleaned up, but the baseline traits are there for him to develop 
into an effective edge pass rusher. And I think it was a good look. When you draft a guy, what, that was the sixth round, was it? Seventh round. First pick in the seventh round. Yeah. Look, we all know when you draft a guy in the seventh round, there's no expectation. I mean, let's be honest. But I think it was an intriguing pick given that they still need edge rushers and not that this guy's going to step in day one, you know, and be a great, great player. That's not my point. But the baseline traits are there for a developmental player. He could also be cut at the end of training camp. We know how that works with seventh round picks. But given what their needs are, I think it was an interesting pick. Yeah, you know, Greg, we've been talking about the Bills, and you said that you kind of liked what the Bills did with their picks and got some some players that you think are going to contribute. Did you look around the league? I don't know if you've done this. Have you have kind of stood up uh, and looked around the league? Is there any team out there that maybe, I don't want to say had a bad draft, but makes you scratch your head like you don't really see what their plan was or did they, they did some things that were unexpected to you? If, is there a team like that out there? You know, Steve, it's funny. I don't really look at the teams, you know, because for me, the fun of this is evaluating the players. So when the draft's over, I don't necessarily look at each team and say, oh, how did, what did I think of their draft? So mm-hmm. that's a hard question for me to answer. Um, you know, there's always picks I like because I like the players when I evaluated them. So, you know, that that's look, everybody who's on TV uh, you know, whether it was ESPN or the NFL Network, they're making their evaluations based on uh, they're judging, you know, teams drafts based on their evaluation of the players without any knowledge whatsoever of what a team's draft board looks like. So, uh, you know, all, all we're doing is is talking about how we evaluated the players on tape. Right. Hey, Greg, um, you know, the the. Names of the undrafted rookies that the Bills are involved with leaking out a little bit. They won't make it official until they all pass their physicals. But we know that UB Buffalo quarterback Tyree Jackson is one of them coming to the Bills. And I thought the fact that he went undrafted, uh, it's great that he signed with the Bills, but it's sort of indicative of how far he has to go, right? And you, you, you saw that when you looked at his tape, Tyree Jackson, right? He's got, he's got some ground to make up here, doesn't he? Yeah, and, and, and again, to be honest with you, I was not surprised he went undrafted, guys. Um, you know, I think that w- when you watch him play, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts in his delivery. There's a consistent lack of balance in, you know, in his base. I mean, there's a lot of things that need work. People just assume because he was a big guy who could throw it with some strength in his arm that he'd automatically be drafted. But I mean, there was a lot about him that was problematic. He was very loose, very undisciplined as a player. Um, just, you know, there were things that, that really needed to be worked on. And as I said, I was not surprised he was not drafted. They'll give him a chance to work on it, I would think, here, right? I mean, who knows how his summer, his training camp works out. But this is not a bad situation for him to be in a familiar, comfortable uh, uh, setting here and, and get a chance to work on those aspects of his game. No, exactly. I mean, that's, you know, when you draft, well, and he wasn't drafted, but when you bring in a guy like that, you're acknowledging that there's some some things that you like about them, but there's a ways to go. And then that's, look, when guys don't get drafted, it's usually for a reason. And then he didn't get drafted for the reasons we discussed. And one more undrafted. Did we ask you, we talked off the air about Devin Sills from West Virginia, but we didn't talk about him on the air yet, have we? No, David Sills, you're right. He's got that great story. He was at 13 years old. He was offered a scholarship to USC by Lane Kiffin as a quarterback. And he's obviously made the transition to wide receiver. Um, you know, it's funny 
because here was my my final line in my transition when I finished watching Sills. I said, overall, Sills is not a high-level athlete for the wide receiver position, and teams must decide of his other traits, ball skills, contested catches, can compensate and overcome that. So apparently they decided they couldn't overcome that, and he was and he's a free agent. Now, that doesn't mean he can't make it, but he, he wasn't a particularly good route runner. He didn't really separate and win consistently versus man coverage. So now you have to decide what he is. Can he win over the top in the NFL? That's what he did a lot of in college. And teams obviously felt he wasn't a good enough vertical dimension to do that in the league or he would have been drafted. There's Greg Cosell. Good listen as always. Got an announcement next. If you're on Twitter and you follow me there, you've already been led into what it is. Not too too major, but I'm excited to announce this, and uh, we'll do that when we come back before we get out of here. And last call, so anything you got to say, anything we've talked about tonight, here's your chance. 803-0550 is the number. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. All right, last call on the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. I got it. It's 8:55, and I haven't talked about Game of Thrones yet. Like I know, Sports Station. You talk about sports. Uh, like, oh. All right. Before I do that, the announcement that I've been teasing. I'm super excited about it. I've already announced it on Twitter. Um, like I said, it's not like I'm not going anywhere. It's not something super super major, but. I am very excited that I am going to have my own podcast here on WGR and Radio.com. It's going to be on iTunes, Spotify, so keep an eye out for it. The name's going to be the Sneaky Joe Show. I'm going all in with the nickname. I'm not kidding. I'm going all in with the nickname. So it's going to be called the Sneaky Joe Show. My brother Lou DiBiase, my buddy Nick Lozanowski, who works uh, here at WGR and at ESPN 1520, are going to be contributing a lot, as well as others. Ryan Gates, the Founder of this show is going to be a contributor. Nate Geary will be on the whole cast and crew that you've come familiar with. They're uh, they're all going to be in on it. So keep an eye out for that. Lots of nonsense, lots of fun, uh, not just sports as well. Speaking of not just sports, all right, spoiler alert. If you don't know what happened in Game of Thrones last night and you care, I'm going to give you about 10 seconds here. Turn, a, turn, turn me off. I've only got like a minute left here anyway. Giving you a chance now. All right. Holy cow, what an episode. Prisoner of the moment. It's not even still the moment. It's 24 hours later. I think that was the greatest episode in TV history. I'm still fired up about it. The memes have been incredible of Arya taking out the Night King. I mean, oh. Only a few times me watching TV ever has it made me get up out of my chair and do like a full-on Danny Briere fist pump. It's not even a fist pump. It's more like an, a fist uppercut. You know what I'm talking about. And this was one of those times. Like br- the Breaking Bad. Breaking. There was a couple times actually happened in Breaking Bad. Um, maybe Prison Break but the finale of season one that happened. Maybe not actually. This did it. I was out of my seat like the Sabres had scored a playoff overtime goal. I was so fired up. Oh, what a show. Aria. Unbelievable. All right. I think that's a good way to close the night. ESPN Radio coming up next. I'll be back with you tomorrow starting at 7 o'clock. Keep an eye out for the pod. It's coming next week here on WGR.
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 